just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Highway 89 will take you all the way from Utah's capital to the Grand Canyon. We know it as State Street. And in the next few years, the portion of State Street in Salt Lake City is going to start looking very different. All those single-story strip malls are coming down. So what will be gained and what will be lost? Buckle in. It's Tuesday, February 27th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Taylor Anderson, editor of Building Salt Lake. There are some massive changes coming to State Street in Salt Lake City. You reported State Street will shift from a, quote, area lined with car-centric businesses to one that's home to dense multifamily housing. That sounds very promising. When and where is this all getting started? So it's starting already Kind of all over, we're maybe used to the appearance of State Street and kind of like haven't even noticed how much it's already changed. The tallest Mm. building in the state is an apartment tower that's on State Street called Astra. Good point. Yeah, I forget about downtown as still being part of State Street. (laughs) Yeah, and that was less the area that's like full of car lots and, you know, oil change places and this car-centric businesses and strip malls. Um, But it really did start there. We had a couple of high rises, like the first residential high rise downtown, Liberty Sky, which is in that same area. That that was like the first start of this at like the head of State Street, closer to the capital in the heart of downtown. But finally, we're starting to see some projects that are picking up like old pawn shops, old strip malls, old just single story businesses that were built as a result of what State Street is from a transportation perspective. And these developers want to turn those into, you know, mixed use or single use apartment buildings that pretty quickly is going to turn State Street into more of a kind of corridor with housing along it and much many more people living on State Street in the years ahead. Do you think that putting up some of these high rises in like State Street's downtown section has catalyzed the development further south? Or do you think it's more the tearing down of the Sears lot and promising to build a hospital there that's made it more attractive to developers? I think it's all the above, really. I think some of the hospital, you know, you've got all different types of employees making all different types of salaries that are going to be working in that hospital. A lot of employees, everything from people that are cleaning the hospital, making sure that's sanitized, all the way to surgeons. And they're going to need a diverse type range of houses to, you know, to live in. Um, Some are going to want to live close, some won't mind commuting. Um, I do think that we're going to see that story play out for years to come. You know, everyone knows Intermountain wants to build a major hospital at around 800 South on State Street. And almost immediately we saw developers propose projects nearby pointing to that as a reason that they're going to do their project. So Mm -hmm. I think that that has 
something to do with it and you know general macroeconomic trends of like okay that's a good sign that like we're still growing our economy is still thriving it's good to have a hospital you know it's like an anchor um but i think it was just like a matter of time right like the market is so expensive salt lake city is so expensive compared to a lot of other markets that these developers they can't just go buy really expensive buildings they need to find the lower hanging fruit and that is basically the buildings that line State Street is, you know, you have the ability to build up to like five stories by right. You could just go build, buy a building. And if you had the means to do it, you you build a new apartment building. And mm. once I think the rest of the city got to a certain point, it made sense for developers to pick up some of those short buildings and with the opportunity to to turn them into housing. So if we're still in a housing crunch, if the market's so expensive, and if all signs point to Salt Lake City still being a thriving place, it just kind of makes sense for us to see this turnover. I'm just kind of surprised that it's maybe kind of happening a lot at once. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, State Street is basically a six-lane highway. I think you might argue it at times is a nine-lane highway with turn lanes and all that. It's pavement to pavement. It's like pretty unpleasant to walk down. It can get hot. But there are a lot of businesses along that road that have just been kind of doing their thing for a long time. Like the stateroom has mm-hmm. just kind of been over there thriving. But I can't necessarily imagine how it would be to live right on State Street and walk out my door and be on the side of a six-lane highway. What do you think? Is that viable? Well, that's part of the reason that we see some of our most beloved businesses. I don't want to speak to the state room because I'm not as familiar with their history and they're a little bit unique, you know, that music venue. Um, I think of all of the ethnic food that's on State Street. Like if you live near state, that is like one of your saving graces for that street being nine lanes wide. Um, Because I think where do you think rent is more expensive, ninth and ninth or on State Street? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Dumb question, right? Like everyone wants to live in Ninth and Ninth, walk along those boutique shops and restaurants and everything, and it drives the price of rent up. Whereas you have, yeah, nine, count them, nine lanes of traffic uh, that are on State Street. It just keeps rent low. Um, Nobody wants to take a stroll on it unless you have to. And even when you do, like, I don't know if you've ever chosen to just take a stroll down State Street for any meaningful amount of time. But when people pass you in cars, it's almost like you're less than them like you must be there you've been like banished to walk on state street or something not talking down on anyone that does that i do it as well but it just suppresses the value of the real estate and therefore keeps rent a little bit lower just by how hostile the the built environment is the transportation is the fact that you're walking along a highway um and what i think the effect of that was low rent gives a lower barrier to entry for somebody that's maybe for the first time trying to start up a new restaurant. And we do have hiding in plain sight, or many people might know this, some of the best ethnic cuisine is on State Street. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely walked down State Street. It wasn't a pleasant experience, but you have to get from the jackalope to milk somehow, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, <laughs> totally, totally. I, I do also think State Street is kind of made for scooting, though I have to tell you, the other day I was driving home quite early in the morning down State Street and I ran over a scooter, n- not attached to a pedestrian, but like it was so dark and it was just lying in the middle of the road. And I was like, 
This scooter in the middle of the road could have gotten here a lot of ways, but it is a reminder how quickly this road moves, despite the fact that it's really in the middle of our city. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it literally is US 89, a state run highway. And that's why it's the state has a long history of saying we're moving cars through here. It doesn't matter that this goes through the heart of our downtown and splits the city in two. Uh, This is a highway and, you know, you're moving pretty dang quick on that highway. Yeah. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. I'm glad you brought up the fact that this street is, you know, not just lined with payday lenders, but some of the city's best immigrant-owned restaurants. When you published this Building Salt Lake story about the changes coming to State Street, there was a comment someone had made that, I'll paraphrase, basically said, you know, tearing down these half-empty buildings will make Salt Lake feel more grown up. What is the subtext there? And what's the trade-off for, for modernizing this boulevard? Keep in mind some of the audience that we have and some of our own point of view is generally like density leads to demand, which then leads to supply of what that demand wants to have. So I think some of these commenters, they think, you know, we've got a strip mall that is like 70% surface parking lot that when you walk past it, it's like, oh, dang, I got to walk past this vast array of just hot pavement that offers me nothing as somebody that's walking down the street. Whereas some of these new buildings are going to be closer to the sidewalk. They're going to have different entry points, different things to look at, people coming and going. It's just like more activity that you would see and want to want to feel in a city. And I think that's where people are coming from. Like, 
you know, you can debate the appearance of some of these new apartment buildings and some of the designs of these things and whether that's like, quote unquote, grown up or not. But I think what they're getting at is generally density leads to more walkability. And, you know, when you get into the details, there's some nuance there that it's not so cut and dry. But we are adding people to the city and a lot of them are going to be living on state or at least more are going to be living on state than there have been at any time in the past. Yeah. I mean, the fact that that sort of like corner shopping plaza at 13th South and State Street is coming down is devastating to me because I think Korea House Hot Stone has like the best bulgogi in town. There's Namash Swahili, Wild Peru. There's the Shanghai Cafe in there. I mean, if all these businesses, some of them are pretty, pretty young, like Wild Peru, have to close their doors because that building's being demolished. Sounds a lot like gentrification to me. Like, what are the options for these businesses that want to retain their position on State Street? I'm glad you brought that up because that's the really hard thing and that almost is impossible to balance. You know, we hear from people when whenever we write about these stories, it's like, oh, I hope the new development has space for Wild Peru in it. And, you know, I don't think people are intentionally overlooking the fact that for the next two, two and a half years, there's going to be no space for Wild Peru. And wherever they find it, maybe it's across the street or down the street, but wherever it is, they've been displaced from where they've been operating, whether that was for three months or 10 years. And um, so it's hard. You know, this happened with Ken Sanders. His building, he didn't own it. The, the bookstore that he was in for a long time downtown, the city did step in and help to find Ken Sanders a new home. But there's a lot of disruption when businesses get displaced. And I think those are like the trade-offs that it's not an easy thing for a lot of people who have chosen to invest in whatever way they have on state. You know, there's going to be a lot of that pressure. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, I mean, Ken Sanders is like textbook squeaky wheel. I feel like he, I would say he himself would say like that's kind of his MO. But like if you're kind of a family on State Street who owns a busy business, like what is your recourse? Could these could all of those businesses go to the Salt Lake City Council and say, help us find a home while all this goes down? Like, how do we do this differently? Yeah, I think so. The city has been doing a lot of work around when residents get displaced lately yeah. and i don't think the thriving in place touched upon you know whether when businesses get displaced i could be wrong about that so i hope i'm not but um it would be a great thing like this pressure could lead to those types of things it's not just ken sanders it's you know the owner of this independent family-run business that is now getting or not just one but many that are going to be in the coming years you know moved around and that's that's not nice for anybody so could the city have a policy of if you remove this you have to set aside space for the equivalent business i don't really know like that's something that you know maybe this pressure that's going to be coming leads to those conversations which which would be a great thing mm -hmm. yeah but i don't expect you know in the short term i'm looking at yeah three great cafes, three restaurants that are in this particular strip mall at 1300 South and State that I don't know where they're going to go. I don't even know if they know they're going to go somewhere, you know, because that's a sad part of this world, the development space, you know. Cocoa Walk is just down State Street from here, like 14 something South. And when I wrote a story about a new mixed use building that's coming to their way, I ordered takeout, went in, it's run by the same family. So I asked them, hey, are you guys going anywhere? And they said, no, what are you talking about? Oh, Which no. breaks my heart, you know, like, 
I love this place. I'd love to visit it. I want to continue. I don't know if they're going to be there after this apartment building is finished in two and a half years. My bet is probably not because they have to go pull up their roots and go set them down somewhere else. And they're not just going to do that temporarily, most likely. So it's really hard when that happens. And I got to say, that is so, I mean, that is so deeply disillusioning because so often what we hear from developers when they bring these, you know, blueprints to the city or they get published in a local paper is like the community is primed for this. Well, now I'm quoting Gail Miller, but like this is something that is like good for the community. And to like say that out of one side of your mouth or pitch that while having not even maybe discussed with people in that very lot that they might have to move just feels like a guy's it feels like one of the reasons that makes a lot of this development so unpopular. Totally. I don't know what's right, right? So this this experience that I had at Cocoa Walk, I'm not the victim here. I just love Cocoa Walk. Yeah. Uh, it happened maybe 18 months ago, and they're still there. They're still kicking. The market slowed down, and their building didn't get redeveloped. It's still somewhere in that pipeline, and, and it might happen. But does the owner, the, the investor, the developer, do they owe it to Cocoa Walk to say, hey, we might be kicking you out pretty soon? But they might not also, you know, it's it's actually really tough. It does happen. We need to keep in mind, like, who is affected by all this. I don't know if developers owe, you know, same day response, like, hey, we plan to do this or not. Like, that's not for me to decide. But yeah, it's, it's an issue that happens a, a lot. I mean, we're talking about all these changes on State Street, like they're, you know, kind of brand new. But I, I mean, in 2018, there was that life on state plan that was created to restore the vitality of State Street. I remember going to an event down there at, I think, what is now Ember, where we like put sticky notes on, on different poster boards about like what we'd like to see. And, and it talked about like crosswalks and all these things related to, in particular, the safety of the road. What did that plan achieve ultimately? The plan didn't really go anywhere. What we got was basically a crosswalk from the bayou to the stateroom, which that's great, right? People were crossing the street there anyways, and it's not safe for anyone because the state has chosen to have a nine lane superhighway through the middle of our downtown. That's about what we got. And I don't want to be too critical because like any improvement is an improvement because State Street is just about as bad as you can get. Um, but it was kind of lipstick on a pig, especially <laughs> when you compare to what that 2018 plan envisioned like the city commissioned this plan these consultants said hey after ga gathering feedback from people who live on or near state street what do you want to see and they're like we're tired of getting hit and killed on state we're tired of the conditions that your road create leading to higher crime and you know just this feeling of unpleasantness and and you know danger uh, here's what we would like to see more trees fewer traffic lanes maybe some bus lanes and bike lanes wider sidewalks and the city came out with this and also studied the economic benefits and economic impacts of what reimagining and rebuilding State Street into a you know, more urban thoroughfare would do for the city as far as housing, businesses, and everything else. And um, all, all signs pointed to that being a, a positive thing if the city were to be able to kind of turn State Street into what the residents say they wanted. The problem is it's not owned by the city, it's owned by the Utah Department of Transportation, which basically said, look at other streets to turn them into something else. Don't look at our 
our nine lane surface highway in the middle of the town. So it led to some beautification projects that are by the stateroom and that's all we're going to get for now, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, how great is that tension between Salt Lake City and what it would like to do with State Street and the fact that the road is owned by UDOT? So I'm, again, try not to be too cynical because there have been opportunities for the city to, I think, do better things with streets that it does own. And it has fallen short, in my opinion. It's also going in the right direction. So I think if the city owned and had the control over State Street, it would look a lot better. Another example of what it can do is 1300 East, which carries almost as much traffic as State Street, yet is three lanes. It's one lane in each direction plus a turning lane in the middle. And it varies from like kind of, you know, you can look this up on maps that are that are controlled by UDOT, you know, and you can see, okay, different segments have different like arterials pouring onto them. But by and large, the amount of cars that are on State Street compared to, say, 700 East, State carries way fewer cars than 700 East. It's much more comparable to the amount of cars that are traveling on 1300 East, which is hmm. two lanes in each direction plus a turning lane than it is to, to other actual highways, right? So like, there's no justification to have it what it is, which has all these negative effects. And yet, for some reason, we can't um, get that notion through to the state to actually make changes that would improve public health and all these other metrics that we can track. I mean, just to be clear, does the city have to ask UDOT for permission to do basically anything to State Street, like to plant a tree, to expand a median, et cetera? Yeah, it's not up, you know, it's not up to the city. It's up to UDOT. UDOT owns the road. Even I've seen this come up when like, say, 1700 South crosses over at State Street. I've seen the city design their street differently than they otherwise might because it crosses, it's approaching UDOT and they don't want to get in trouble with UDOT. Mm. Um, the state has a pretty heavy hand when it comes to transportation policy and it impacts more than just the state roads. But no, the city couldn't just go take away a lane on, on State Street if it wanted to. It's been interesting to kind of witness the difference between how Salt Lake City is approaching its relationship with State Street and trying to get in some of these Things that I think are kind of hallmark of urban density, like mixed use and and thinking about street safety and whatever else, versus the way South Salt Lake City is in relationship with State Street right now, which is like, let's build our fifth drive through restaurant, you know, mm. or like, let's more chains, more chains, more chains. Like, what are your dreams for State Street? So I would take that 2018 plan from Life on State. They did four concepts, again, kind of scaling up from the status quo, which is what it is today, through... The fourth concept being like a totally reimagined State Street with wider sidewalks, more trees, which means more shade and it's cooler in the summer when you're waiting for the bus, Uh, maybe transit lanes. I think that would be justified to have bus only lanes on State Street uh, because Mm -hmm. Route 200, which is what is the, the route, the bus route on State Street is one of the most highly ridden routes in the entire state. Um, I want all of that. I want it to be to reflect the actual traffic numbers that are are you know, driving down State Street. I want it to be a place that doesn't divide Ballpark from Liberty Wells and every other neighborhood that goes up and down State. Um, I want you to feel okay to cross the street without, even at a stoplight, even when you have the signal, without feeling like you might get mowed over because pe- that does happen. People get killed on State all the time. I think Redwood Road is a more dangerous street, but State Street is pretty close behind now. Um, so I think just take the plan that's already in, uh, that's already been created 
and work out some deal with the state of Utah to let the city implement it. And it will reflect the built environment, the buildings that are going to be lining State Street more than it does today. You know, that's the one silver lining, I guess, is that, like I said earlier, all these new, uh, this new housing is creating demand. These people are going to want to get out and do things, right? Um, hopefully, the number of people that are going to be living up and down State Street is going to influence over time what the street ultimately looks like down the road. Uh, and hopefully, we see some positive change there. Building Salt Lake editor Taylor Anderson, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. I love CityCast. Thank you. The pit of murky green water at the old Sears block on State Street and 8th South has been lovingly called the Sears Lake Wildlife Refuge. The land was purchased by Intermountain Healthcare and is destined to become a new hospital facility. But when? Because the Sears Lake joke is getting a little old. And that pit is getting uglier. It was July of last year when the Salt Lake City Council heard Intermountain's appeal for a rezone to build the hospital. Neighbors of the development showed up to the meeting to say they'd like a development agreement before the rezone is approved. For example, is the hospital going to provide workforce housing? We have not heard much since, and the rezone still hasn't been granted. Asked around, and we're told that Salt Lake City and Intermountain are still working out the details, and it's not moving as fast as either party would like. That said, I suppose the case and the takeaway of this episode is that development sometimes feels too swift. So maybe slow, steady, and demanding negotiations will be better for all of us in the end. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. 